Just learn a single trick, Scout. You get along a lot better with all kinds of folks. You never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view. Till you climb inside of his skin, walk around in it. In eighth grade, we read To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. To this day, it remains one of my favorite books of all time. While the story was good, and I liked the message, that's not why I think so fondly of this book. No, this was the book that made me fall in love with reading. And no matter how much time passes and how many other books I read, this one will always evoke a sense of comfort and wonder. That's the thing about humans. Sometimes our objective memory isn't the best, but we're hard-pressed to forget how something made us feel. A smell, a touch, a taste, a voice. All things that are able to transport us through time to memories, cherished and buried. The details of our stories may become fuzzy around the edges. Sometimes we can't quite remember the exact place, time, or phrase. But how we felt, that we can access. I'm Jennifer Peterkin, and this is The Human Experience, Episode 2. Last episode, I shared part of my story, Legacy. If you haven't listened to that one yet, feel free to check that out first. This episode is the last part of my story, for now at least, before we get into some of the incredible interviews I've been able to do over the past year or so with some truly amazing and generous humans. If the last episode was about building a foundation, then this episode is about the things that rock our worldview and change everything. Let's call this implosion. I was 20 years old when I signed up for an online dating account. This was before the days of Tinder and Bumble and all the others. Back then, you had three options, eHarmony, Match.com, or Plenty of Fish. I opted for eHarmony. Now they're few and far between, but at the time, I feel like those commercials were all over the place. To be honest, I was kind of embarrassed to sign up for an account. It wasn't as popular as it is today, and it was largely seen as something a more mature person might do. But the fact was, I was running a dying business, I had just had my heart broken, again, and most of my friends were away at college, something I had chosen not to pursue. It was a major change from growing up and being in school where your friends are built into your community and your world is pretty insular. I know it's not the case for everyone, but I loved my childhood. No one's perfect, but my family and friends were my world and I was extremely grateful for them. I still am. When I graduated high school, I was all set to go to college. That might be overstating it. I was going through the motions of applying to college because that's what I was supposed to do. In reality, while I didn't hate school, I didn't like the classroom setting, and it wasn't a place I thrived. But I was afraid to do anything else, so I applied, I got accepted, I picked my classes, and then two weeks before I was supposed to start school, I withdrew. That decision began a domino effect in my life that I'm still watching play out. I don't regret not going to college. I also don't think that it's bad to go, but I do think that maybe it's not for everyone. And while I know there are certain things that require a specific type of training, there are other jobs that are best learned by experience. Experience, after all, is priceless. My senior year of high school, in between friends and sports and those pesky college applications, I opened a business with help from my family. It was a candy store. People still ask me today, why a candy store? My answer, because it seemed fun. And it was. In the end though, that wasn't enough. 
The store was in a bad location, and I didn't know enough to make it work. I had the brick-and-mortar store for two years, and the online business for four. I also worked other jobs in the interim. My late teens and early 20s were riddled with real-world experience that I look back on today and I'm really proud of. I am who I am because of the decisions I made, as we all are. And my path wasn't the most conventional, but it shaped me, and I'm good with that. Not everyone is privileged enough to be able to make decisions like that, to feel free to make their own path because their family and friends support them, and I acknowledge that. But while I look back on the time fondly, there were certainly periods where I struggled, hence my online dating foray. Like I said, my heart had just been broken for the second time in as many years. I was overwhelmed, and I felt like a failure. I figured, if nothing else, maybe I would make a friend. If nothing else, it was a distraction. I joined for three months. I hadn't been on for two weeks before I decided that I was done. I didn't like it. I felt like I had to answer every message that was sent to me because if I didn't, it would be rude. But that was, as I'm sure you can imagine, not always a pleasant experience. I was going to deactivate my account and a guy messaged me. For whatever reason, I clicked on it and I responded. And I promised myself that if this didn't pan out, I would quit. But I would give it this one last shot. It's funny looking back at these moments in your life that seem so inconsequential at the time. But now you can point to and say, this is where everything changed. I liked this guy. He was sweet, thoughtful, charming, and handsome. The relationship evolved from strictly online to on the phone to in person. The first time I met him, I was so nervous. We went to a museum on our first date, and I honestly could not tell you one single thing that was inside that museum. Our date was okay, not anything you'd read in romance novels, but I was so nervous, and I'm sure he was too. I thought it was definitely worth going out again, especially because of the hours we'd spent talking and texting beforehand. Two dates turned to three, four, five, and eventually we were in a relationship, and he continued to be thoughtful and charming. He was in the military, and so we were long distance for much of our relationship, but he always made an effort. He traveled, sometimes for hours, just to take me to dinner. He hung out with my family and friends, impressing them and winning them over. I felt special, and I felt loved, and at that time in my life, I really needed to feel those things. Eventually, we got married. Leading up to the wedding, things were amazing. Throughout our dating and engaged relationship, he was so caring and wonderful. But after we got married, things started to change. It wasn't gradual. At all. As soon as the blissful cocoon of our honeymoon was gone, it was like a switch flipped. It took me a long time to come to terms with the fact that I was in an abusive relationship. Because for all the things abuse is, it's not black and white. It isn't clear-cut, and many people don't know they're in it until they're already drowning. The fact is, I learned from someone else that I was, indeed, in an abusive relationship. For a year, I held everything close to the vest. I didn't talk about my marriage with anyone. To do so would be a betrayal of the highest order. And yes, to that end, you shouldn't go around gossiping about anybody, especially your partner. But you should have people in your life, or a therapist, that you can sit in counsel with. Because domestic violence is like a fungus. It requires darkness to grow. 
One day, something slipped out. I didn't mean for it to happen, but there it was. It was the beginning of the end. I didn't leave for about six more months, and things got worse. But I was able to get out. And I was able to start over. And I was able to go to therapy. Lots of therapy. I had felt so lost. I couldn't believe how quickly my life turned upside down. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know who I was. I felt like I was going crazy and I didn't want to be alive anymore. It was a really dark time for me. I think that I've always struggled with self-confidence, as I'm sure most people do on some level, but I had never hated myself until then. I hated who I was. I hated where I was. I was so full of anger and grief. I felt stupid and alone. I was embarrassed to have found myself in this situation. Why didn't I see this coming? There were family and friends that surrounded me, and I'm forever grateful for their unconditional love. They encouraged me and walked beside me, extending beautiful grace. But there were also people that didn't believe me. Or if they did, they couldn't believe it was all that bad. Or if it was, it was still wrong to leave. Some gave me really terrible advice. Some flat out said they wouldn't support my decisions. Some decided not to talk to me at all. There's a lot I can say about domestic violence, in general and regarding my own experience. And believe me, I do. I've talked about the subject at length. But for now, I'll just say this. Domestic violence changed my life. It changed who I was, fundamentally. I look back at the person I was before I got married, and I'm sad for her. She's about to know things she can't unknow. Things about humanity and its ugliness. But while domestic violence doesn't define me, it's still a part of me, and I won't pretend otherwise. The lens that I saw the world through had shattered. I came from a conservative Christian upbringing. I never really had a rebellious phase. I got along with my parents, especially my mom. I had friends, and I was involved in activities. I grew up dreaming of falling in love, getting married, becoming a mom. Even as a teenager, I wanted that for myself. I vividly remember combing through future career paths and considering how my choices would affect the kids I wanted to have in the future. I did all the right things. I made the right choices. And yet, if I was to introduce myself today to my younger self, she would be in shock. Never did I think that this was where I would be. I was certain that I knew myself well enough to know what I'd want forever. But life changes you, as it should. If we don't grow year to year, decade to decade, I think that's an even sadder reality. But while I don't believe that it should be trauma that is the force of change, it's unfortunately the case for many. I'm now in my 30s. I'm well past my marriage. And honestly, I'm great. I love my life, and I love who I am. But what I want out of life has totally changed. And what I value has totally changed. And the way I see everything around me has changed. I wear the change as a badge of honor. Truly, I do. Because it took a lot of work to get here. I am not, nor will I ever be perfect. But that's not the point. When I said I hated myself, I meant it. Even after I left, while thoughts of hurting myself had gone, I still wrestled with existing in a space where everything felt wrong. From my body to my mind. From my relationship with God to my relationship with people around me. 
Healing isn't linear, and it took me years to get to a place where I felt confident again. It wasn't just the abusive relationship, nor was it the navigation of a society that really doesn't know what to do with trauma. It was the grieving of everything that I thought my life was going to be, all the plans I had made. It was figuring out who I was, and giving myself permission to change, and change, and change again. Each metamorphosis a lesson in love and liberation. No, things have not gone the way that I thought they would have. Life has certainly thrown some curveballs. But make no mistake, there was joy and triumph in every season, even when the sadness and anger were more prevalent. Every endeavor and encounter has been a stepping stone. I've done a lot of things in my relatively short life. Objectively, things that wouldn't have necessarily happened if I didn't take the paths that I took. All of that has culminated into this singular project, the human experience. Everything we experience in our lives contributes to who we are. We have a unique lens that no other person has access to. It informs our principles and it awakens our compassion. It's what makes us human. Not just the ability to recall and share our stories, but the feelings they evoke, the magic they carry. There's a reason that people have been sharing stories in one way or another since the beginning. There's a reason that stories stand the test of time. We are curious and we are contemplative, but more than that, we always, always return to community. It was my walk through my own experiences of domestic violence that sparked this tiny flame years ago. A flame so weak I didn't even know what to do with it. That flame is now a roaring fire, one I hope burns for a long time. If I could change so much because of one experience I had in my life, how might my other experiences have informed who I am? And if I've walked through that, then that means every single other person has as well. Which means that no two stories are the same, and no two people have the same perspective. And what a beautiful thing to know, that there are endless stories to be told. I'm equal parts terrified and exhilarated to be releasing this. The past couple of years have been spent preparing for this very moment. I hope you find the value in story. I hope you see the humanity in the vulnerability that's shared here. I hope you recognize the generosity of spirit of those who are willing to speak their truth. Mostly though, I hope this helps you understand that you are not alone. Thank you so much for listening to The Human Experience. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe, share it with others, and leave a rating and review on your favorite platform. Everyone has a story and I'd love to hear yours. So be sure to check out the show notes for more information about how to stay in touch. Do good and take care.